Hello everyone, welcome to session four. If you've made it this far, congratulations. And we hope that you found the previous sessions meaningful and helpful. You know, I want to say, give a quick shout out to the band. Excellent job. You know, the band played at the Bridge Church Atlanta, which happens to be the church where I currently lead as director of Next Generation Ministries. So for this brief session, we're going to be looking at a topic that oftentimes goes overlooked in our Christian life. And it's very easy to overlook it because it is linked inextricably to our thought life. And that is the imagination. You know, you may be thinking, what does my imagination have to do with my Christian walk? The reason for that is because in general, when we think of imagination, we think of made up fairy tales. We think of make-believe, fables, myths, things like that. Things that normally children would engage in. And although that's true, we use our imagination for that types of stuff. The imagination is also an essential part of who we are. In fact, imagination can be defined as this, as the creation of mental images and as the formation of new ideas. Now, these new ideas don't have to necessarily be something that nobody has ever thought of and nobody has ever conceived, but they can be new to you, the formation of certain patterns and ideas where all of a sudden things click and make sense. That is, in, in that process, you are using your imagination. In the same way, when you create something, if you're an artist, you um, are utilizing your imagination. In fact, you may think, well, how does my imagination work in my Christian life? Well, I want you to think about this. If I was to ask you to tell me about your favorite vacation, what you would do is you might close your eyes and you might think back and I give, give me some details, I would say. You may think back and say, well, I remember climbing this mountain. We went on a two-mile hike. We were in the mountains. It was a crisp, cool night. We got up to the top of the mountain. We made a bonfire. Maybe you made some s'mores. You were surrounded by your loved ones, by um, your friends. Somebody had a guitar. You pulled out a guitar and you started singing. It was just a moment of beautiful, authentic fellowship and worship, right? In order to do that, in order to use your memory recall, you have to engage and utilize mental images. Well, in the same way, if I was to ask you, where do you imagine yourself 10 years from now? In order for you to project the future, you also have to use mental images and possibly form new ideas, right? As you think, you may say, well, I imagine myself as a doctor or a lawyer. I imagine myself in a specific career at a particular school. Maybe you have a spouse in mind and for your spouse to look a certain way and maybe you want children living in a particular house. You see how when we think about the future, we are employing the use of the imagination. Now I want to be clear about what I'm not saying and what I am saying before we kick this thing off. I am not saying that our imagination should guide and lead our relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that. I'm also not saying that our imagination is more authoritative than the Word, than the truth of God. I'm not saying that. In fact, all that we are, our thinking, our imagination, our emotions, everything should be informed by the truth of God. What I am saying, though, is that the imagination is an essential part of our spiritual transformation and the process of sanctification. How? Because as we take in information into our minds, our mental images are redeemed. Our mental images are sanctified so that we can think rightly about the Lord. William Lane said it like this. He said that we must engage with the scripture at the level 
of the informed imagination. So we're not saying that imagination leads and guides. We're saying that our imagination should be informed by the truth of God. Now, obviously, a key component to us reading the scripture is utilizing our theological imagination. And here's what I mean. You know, when we look at scripture, um, it's written in many literary forms. We have narrative, historical narrative. We have Jesus Christ telling parables. Now, those parables are not real historical events, but they're earthly stories with heavenly meanings. And Jesus does this quite frequently. In fact, his preferred uh, mode of teaching was through parables. And I want you to think for a second about the parable of the prodigal son. You can read the parable of the prodigal son and say, you know, there was a son at home. There was a father, a loving father. And there was a son who wandered off. He went astray, ended up hitting rock bottom, ended up in a pigsty. And then he came home and experienced the love of the father. Or you can connect that story to your personal life. And not in the sense of you are the prodigal son literally in the story, but it's in the sense of realizing what that story is telling you. That we were all wayward sons and daughters. And that we all experienced the magnificent love and grace and mercy of the Father. Undeserving. So when we think about these stories, what connects them to our heart or makes them a part of who we are is our imagination. Now, if we talk about, uh, really briefly, about the doctrine of creation, I want us to think about this. You know, we say that God created the heavens and the earth. And actually, in the beginning, in Genesis 1, it says God created the heavens and the earth. And the concept there, the word there, is ex nihilo, which means that he created something out of nothing. It's out of nothing. Not that God himself is nothing and creates something out of his nothing, but that God an infinite being, eternal being, from eternity past to eternity present, outside of space-time, what it means is that he literally created the fabric and the space in which we exist. We see this in, uh, in the creation narrative. So if we take, for example, now imagine a God who creates, speaks the stars into existence, he creates the sun, creates the vegetation, he separates the firmament from the water, he creates the animals, all of these beautiful things that he does. And the fact that he's creating suggests that he's utilizing his imagination, right? When he gets to the sixth day though, he creates man. And he creates something within man, a very unique capacity that's probably different from all the animals. And that is that he creates in man almost like an imagination receiver or an imagination receptor. In other words, we can look at this beautiful creation, we see the, the trees, we see the water, we see the sun, all of the beauty around us, and we can appreciate it. We can say, man, somebody with a superior design and a superior artistic ability created this. Somebody must have, who's outside of space and time must have created. And I want you to think about the difference in which we use our imagination and create, and God does. So when God creates, he creates ex nihilo out of nothing, right? Man, when we create, we create out of that which has been created. Now I want you to take a, take a moment and we can look at Genesis chapter 2 verses 19. It says this, it says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. So we see here another way in which God forms. So God forms by speaking. It says in the beginning, God said, 
let there be light. And here we have the formation. God forms like a master craftsman, if you will. You know, we, we say about God that he is the potter and we are the clay. So God speaks into existence and then also forms from that which has been created. And he brought them, the animals which had been formed, to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called them, each living creature that was its name, so then man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. So we see that, you know, God could have named every single animal. He could have said, this is the elephant, this is the giraffe, this is the rhinoceros. And he could have told man, now it's your responsibility and duty to memorize every single thing that I named the animals. But instead, in his grace, he gives man an imagination, a creative capacity, and allows man to steward and administrate it in the earth. So already early on in the biblical narrative, we see the role of imagination. And you know, when we name our children, if you're a parent out there who has named your children, you know the painstaking task that goes into naming your child. Oftentimes you'll make a list, right, of names. You'll come up with Bobby, Frank, Joe, uh, Trinity, whatever, some of these, these names that are out there. Usually when you come across a name, you're like, no, 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 not that name because we know somebody who has that name. Or not that name because I don't like its meaning. So usually we look for a name that has a significant meaning. You know, when we named our daughter a melody, our first daughter, we had a list of names and we we're trying to go through and figure out, you know, what is the name that we're going to use? And I remember that my wife, uh, we were sitting in Florida where we were living at the time and she said, Chris, what do you think about the name Melody? And instantly when I heard that, my heart just softened and I, I literally started tearing up. I said, honey, that is a perfect name. It's a perfect name because I love melody. I love music. You know, in the beginning session, we said that music is not worship, and it's not worship, but it's, it is such an essential part of worship, right? And when we do it rightly, and we do it with sound doctrine and with beautiful melody, it has such an impact upon us. And so as I teared up, I remember thinking about it, the name for my daughter, and I came up with this little creative thing that even to this day, I speak over her. And here's what I said. I said, Melody is a divinely composed and orchestrated life designed by her creator to resonate for our joy and for his glory. And I literally would pray this over her, that she is an orchestrated life. In other words, God composed her, God shaped her. Um, she's an orchestrated life. She's designed specifically handcrafted by God to resonate. In other words, the way music resonates, the way melodies resonate, for our joy, God gave us the grace to have her in our lives and she resonates for our joy and for his glory. Well, here's an example of how our imagination works. And many times we look at a child and we give them a specific name and we pray over them and we say, may God bless this child to live out the name that we are giving him. For example, my name is Christopher, Christ Bear. So these are just some ways in which our imagination works. Now, when we think about God's redemptive work, we realize that man fell. After the fall, God is in the process of saving man. He's in the process of redeeming man. And once again, we said that worship is a response to God's love, that God's love is a revelation. God reveals his love, if you will, um, through the gospel. And we respond to that love in an act of worship or through the totality of our lives. Now I want us to go to Psalm 19. If we think about, you know, we say that the Psalms were written by David. 
Now, David was a very unique character because David, not only was he a king, we know him as King David, but he was also had other skills. He was, uh, you know, a fighter. He was a warrior. I mean, think about it. He's the guy who took down Goliath. He was also a poet. I mean, when we read the Psalms, we, we see his uh, poetic language and his poetic imagination. He was also a musician. You know, he played the harp. His musical instrument of choice was the harp. In fact, it says that when David would play the harp for Saul, King Saul, that as he would play, the evil spirits that were tormenting King Saul would leave. So we see even there in that the ability and the power of music to disarm a person. Here's what the psalmist David writes in Psalm 19. He says this, he says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. So the skies around us proclaim the works of his hands, his craftsmanship, his artistic ability. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Interesting. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. You can't help but see, I mean, this is, this is clearly poetic language, clearly imaginative language. And what he's saying is that the creation around us gives glory to God. It has a purpose. Everything that exists gives glory to God. And the skies proclaim to us, they tell us something about his handiwork and his superior artistic ability. Now I want us to also go now in the New Testament to Romans 1.20. You know, one of the things about God is we say that... Um, He's an artist, we say that he's creative, we say that he's worthy of all glory, that um, you know, in, in creation we see his majesty, we see his power, we see his sovereignty, all of these things. And here's what it says, what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 1.20, he says, For since the creation of the world, so again, creation again implies a God with an imagination and an artistic ability. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So in other words, we talk about this concept of revelation. What revelation means is that an invisible God, he says here about invisible qualities, an invisible God chooses to reveal himself to us. In other words, to communicate, to make himself known to us. We have these terms for the type of revelation. We have general revelation, which general revelation means that all of creation, everybody gets to see creation. I mean, it's kind of like a common grace that we have. You know, the common grace is that regardless if you're a believer or not, you are able to wake up every morning, the sun rises, the sun sets, the moon comes up. You know, you have access to the vegetation around and you're able to see and appreciate creation. Then we also talk about special revelation. Well, the special revelation is what we would call the Word of God, or God revealing Himself specifically to us through the Holy Spirit. And that's what I meant when I told my daughter, a Melody, about I can't wait to teach her the, uh, the Scripture and teach her to read so she can see what God has left us. But if you notice, God chose, of all the ways in which He chose to reveal Himself to us, this text in Romans 1.20, says that he used his creative capacity and his imagination as a form of creating general revelation. 
In other words, his artistic ability speaks to us that he exists and people are without excuse. Why are they without excuse? Because they see the complexity and the superior artistic ability of a God who left us creation. We talked about in the first session where our mind's attention is and heart's affection is at the point at which those two converge, that is what we are worshiping. And oftentimes we have mental images of the thing we are worshiping. Michael Card, a Christian musician, said it like this, the bridge between our mental capacity, our minds, and our heart is the imagination. So in other words, the, the imagination helps us take in information and then helps it settle into who we are, into our experience. It becomes part of our obedience. It becomes part of our action, all of that stuff. And finally, I'm going to close with this verse. You know, in Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul writes this, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on the things where Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. So notice, worship, your worship should be where your mind, attention, and heart's affection is. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Listen to what he goes on to say, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your our earthly nature, sexual immorality impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Do you think that the imagination has anything to do with greed? I want you to imagine somebody who's greedy, somebody who wants to take more for themselves and hoard. You know, think about how they imagine having more. Part of their mental capacity in acquiring more is they imagine getting more wealth for themselves. Think about the mental image there. Think about also lust. You know, lust is such a big issue for us today because our world, our culture has sexualized everything. There's a specific appeal that they try to make to men. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll use women as objects. Why? Because they want to ingrain and hijack your imagination so that every time you see their product, you think of this mental image, right? So lust, we see the imagination involved in that. And, and he goes on to say, put aside now such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. You know, people can get so creative and use their imagination when they use filthy language. Sometimes you hear people come up with these words that you've never heard before, but that they are filthy. In the same way, anger. Think about the way imagination works within your anger. As you think back, you have mental images and you reflect how people hurt you. And that may put you into an anger and to a rage. And he says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with all its practices. Think about lying. Lying is all about creating an alternative narrative that is false, that is not true. For those who lie, your imagination is linked as you create stories and alternate narratives to the truth that exists. So in other words, set all of these things aside that affect our thinking capacity, our thought life, and our imagination. And he says, let the peace, he goes on in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since you as members of one body were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, through hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude. But we talked about how the psalms employ poetic language. 
You know, you think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me on paths of righteousness. You know, I'm paraphrasing, but we have this language. And it goes on and says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. I mean, you can't help but have images come in your mind, right? But let the word of Christ dwell among you rich, richly, admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Well, here's the thing. What does a sanctified imagination look like? Well, not only are we filling our minds, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the knowledge of God, by the truth of God, that truth then has an effect upon our imagination and we're able to lift up songs from the Spirit. We become creative. We use the truths of God that God has given us from His Word to sing to Him, to relate the truths that He's given us, His redemptive work in our life. You may say, you may connect God's redemptive work to an experience you've been through and say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me from my past. Thank you, Lord, for giving me a family that is so beautiful. I offer it to you in thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, I imagine our future, Lord. Maybe you imagine your family as being future missionaries. Maybe God has put something inside of your heart where you say, you know what, I imagine myself working for his kingdom. That's a sanctified imagination. A sanctified imagination is you seeing yourself in the future being more and more transformed into the image of, in other words, if you have filthy language in your mouth, you can imagine getting rid of that filthy language. If you're somebody who lies, who creates these false stories and false narratives, you can say, Father, please help me. I imagine myself in the future by your strength and by your power and by your Holy Spirit speaking the truth, communicating the truth in love. This is all part of our imagination. So in conclusion, purpose of this session was just to start to get you to think about the role of imagination in your thought life. You know, an essential part is for creators as well. I know that there's some of you out there who love to create. You're expert craftsmen, whether you're carpenters, some of you guys do hardwood floors, you know, which there's an artistic component to that. Some of you guys are carpenters and you build stuff out of nothing. Um, you know, recently I saw, I'm just throwing this out there, recently I saw Alex built a table. You know, Alex Onofrey, the president. Um, I also know that there's a lot of musicians out there. There's a lot of poets. There's a lot of writers. There's a lot of artists who can draw. And part of our imagination being sanctified is us utilizing the resources and abilities that God has given us to offer it to him as an act of worship. And I think about the church. I think about the role of artists and creatives within the church. You know, for the most part, Artists and creatives have been marginalized within the church. Here's what I mean. We haven't oftentimes created space for them to be discipled or for them to utilize their creative abilities within the congregation. And, you know, to give you an example, many churches have uh, paintings or pictures that, they're put on the, that they'll put on the wall. In order to get those paintings, what they'll do is they'll go down the street to the local home goods store or they'll go down to World Market or you know whatever store and they'll buy a painting and they'll put it up on the wall. What if, and I'm just submitting this as an idea, what if the church would go among the congregation and say, who in here loves to draw? Who in here loves to paint? We have a need. We would love to display the art of those within the congregation on the wall. Why? Not to glorify the artist, but to say we have resources available within the church and we want to edify 
those artists who have an ability to put something up on the wall. And maybe that story that they're telling in that painting ties into the life of the congregation. In the same way musicians, you know, worship music, to describe it that way, in a way is the soundtrack of our Christian spiritual journey and experience. You know, oftentimes songs will be written in a specific time and in a specific place dealing with issues that we're struggling with. You know, it could edify the church in such a way when somebody comes and writes a new song that is doctrinally sound, that is informed by the truth of God, but writes a song that speaks to the congregation or speaks to the way in which God is working within the congregation. You know, there's a big complaint now that a lot of the worship songs that are out there are not theologically sound, sometimes they're superficial. What if we trained and discipled musicians and artists to create songs that are doctrinally sound and theologically accurate in their depiction of who God is and who we are? I'd like to encourage you to assess your imagination. What is your imagination telling you about what you're worshiping? What is your imagination telling you about what you need to submit in your thinking life, in your memory recall, in your future projection, in your mental images, and all of that, uh, all of those components of your thought life? What is your imagination and the mental images telling you about what you need to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? For those of you who are creatives out there, I want you to think about how can you use your creative ability to submit it to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Once again, everything that we think and everything that we imagine to be informed by the truth of God and even our theological imagination for us to surrender it to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Today we have something special. We have a musician and an artist and we ask them to come and glorify God through their artistic ability. We have Ovi Choloka, who's gonna be singing an original song. Our hope and our prayer is that with the totality of who we are, we would come before the Lord and offer Him authentic worship with every resource that we have available. May God be glorified in all that we do. May we surrender every aspect of our life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and may everything that we do be informed by his revealed truth.